If you have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 4. So we're going to be starting a short three-week series uh, through, um, or it's going to be called Reach Like Jesus. My hope and my prayer for this series is that it gives you a few things from Jesus' life that will help you fulfill and help us as a church fulfill the great commission of going and making disciples. Now, I will say, most of this, if you've been in church for a while, is just going to be a reminder. Uh, in fact, we've talked about all of these things uh, that we're going to be talking through the series in the book of Acts. We've talked about them. Um, but for God's reasoning, he wants me to continue to repeat it and instill it in you. Um, so there's these foundational pieces. Seem, they'll probably seem very basic, kind of generic, but they're very important to reaching people, and I truly believe that too. But what I hope that this series does for you is to help you know the foundational things to reach people effectively. Because as a church, collectively, I want us to reach people, not just to reach people, but to reach them effectively. Because if you start reaching people ineffectively, then that's when you start to hurt people. And that's where people come up with these terms like church hurt. Because now they're hurt by people from the church. They blame it on the church because we didn't reach them effectively. So I, I want to try and avoid that with this church and reach people effectively. So Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look very early in Jesus' life, or in his ministry. Starting verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. When the devil took him to the holy city and stand at the highest point of the temple, he said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of all the world and all their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil came or the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity, and for this moment to hear your word. Lord, I pray that you speak through me as you always do and you always know how. And Lord, let no one leave without feeling your presence here. Let no one leave without you speaking something from this message to them. Lord, I truly believe that someone in here needs this message. Someone in here needs to hear this. They need to be reminded of it. So Lord, I just pray that you would speak to their heart and that their hearts would be opened to receive this message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, how many of you have ever watched this show called The Middle? No, me and Chloe are the only ones then. Okay, so I never watched it until I met Chloe. Chloe grew up watching it uh, when it started to come on, but it's based on this lower to 
like lower middle class family in Indiana. There's two parents, three kids, two boys, one girl. It was basically Chloe's family on TV. Um, but throughout it, they, you know, you see their struggles, you see their kind of adventures as they try to make the most of what little they actually have. And in one of the episodes, it's Mother's Day. Now, every year, every time, every season, they would have a Mother's Day episode, and the whole family would forget that it was Mother's Day or that Mother's Day was coming up. So then they would scramble to find this great idea of what they're going to give their mom for Mother's Day. Now, just so you know, Mother's Day is less than a month away. So if you don't have your gifts yet, you should probably go and be looking for that, okay? But every year it seemed like this was a repetitive thing. Now, in one of the seasons, they, they find out the day before. They remember the day before that it's Mother's Day tomorrow. And none of them got a gift. The husband walks into the room, brings all the kids in there, and says, what did you get your mom for Mother's Day? And they said, Mother's Day, you're supposed to get that gift. And when she replied, she's not my mom. She's your mom. You're old enough. You should be able to go and do this. So they, they start arguing and everything, and he's walking out. He's trying to figure out what to get his wife for Mother's Day so that she doesn't feel completely left out of everything, as she usually does. So he goes and... As they're talking, she keeps talking about how she would love to have a day to herself. So he comes up with this idea based on that conversation and says, how about this, kids? I'm going to take you somewhere far away, and we're just going to leave your mom at home all by herself. And they said, that sounds like a great idea. So he goes and tells his wife, this is what the kids are planning to give you. They're going to give you a day by yourself. We're going to leave in the morning before you get up, and you'll just have the whole day by yourself. And she was like, that sounds amazing. So just as they promised, she woke up the next morning in the next scene, and no one's there. She calls out their names. No one's there. She gets up. She has this big smile on her face. She's running around the house, and then she's like, in her mind, they have like a, a voiceover of her, like you're in her mind. And she says, I never get to decide what TV shows I get to watch, right? It's always what the kids want to watch. It's always what my husband wants to watch. I never get to watch what I want to watch. So she goes and grabs the remote, pushes the power button, and nothing happens. Pushes the power button again, nothing happens. She looks, and there's no batteries in the remote. So then she is like, okay, it's fine. I'm just going to go and get some batteries. So then she goes to their junk drawer. And she pulls it out, and the handle comes with it. So then she has to go and fix the handle so that she can get the battery so that she can have her relaxing day. So then she goes to the garage to go and find a screwdriver and find something else, like a light flickering or something. So then she goes and fixes the light bulb so that she can go. And, and all of these things throughout the entire episode, she's going and fixing all of these little bitty things that probably honestly could have waited until the next day. But she finally does it all. She fixes everything in the house, gets the batteries, puts them in the remote, turns the TV on, TV comes on. She goes, and then here come all the kids and the husband and everyone's just walking in and they tell her about how amazing of a day they had at the park. Right? Now, I don't have kids yet and I know that that's relatable. But that's exactly what happens to us spiritually, doesn't it? We really, we know that we need to pray. 
So we sit down and we, and we go to pray, and then we just get completely scatterbrained sometimes. This is what it kind of looks like. It's like, dear Jesus, I, you know, maybe, maybe you took my advice from several weeks ago, and you're like, I'm going to start my day off with, in, in prayer every single morning. So you get up a little bit earlier, and, and you go and you sit down somewhere. I'm like, dear Jesus, I just want to take this moment to come before you in prayer. As you know, there are people in the hospital who need healing, and I want to lift them up to you. May they see healing in their life today. And Lord, I wonder what the weather's going to be like today. I should probably check the news to make sure that the kids are dressed appropriately, and it's really nice outside. It's been nice outside. I hope that it stays nice outside. And You know, I, I need to go ahead and check. No, I'm praying right now. I need to stop. Okay, I can check that in a minute. Lord, I'm sorry that my, my brain is all scattered. Anyways, where were we? All right, people in the hospital. Lord, you know what they're dealing with. And I pray that they find healing in their sickness. And I also pray for my kids so they go to school today. Protect them from the enemy as they encounter this crazy world that we live in. What time is it? I think I still have some time to finish my prayer so that I can have some breakfast. Wait, do we have anything for breakfast? I think we have some cereal granola bars, but that's really not much of a breakfast. I really need to go to the store and get some stuff. But then if I go to the store, it's going to have to be after work. And after work, I get really tired. And then I'm not going to want to go, but then I'm going to be in town anyway. So then I'll, I'll go ahead and go and get the groceries. But I know that every time that I go to the grocery store, I get really hungry. So then I don't necessarily want to eat. Or I don't want to go and grocery shop after a long day of work and then go and fix food. I just, you know, we're in town anyway. Let's just go ahead and get some drive through and wait, do I have gas? Do I have enough gas to get to? Yeah, I think I do, but I might as well just go ahead and fill up anyways because it, it's cheaper in Henderson. So it's cheaper in Henderson. So I'm just going to go ahead and go, but I need to stop worrying about it because somewhere in the Bible, it says, don't worry. So Lord, as I'm worrying about all these things that don't matter, I pray that you help me through my day. I've been so stressed at work. I've been so stressed at home. And what was that noise? Was that one of the kids getting up? I should probably go and check. Anyways, Lord, I, I know that it says that you're going to hear my heart anyways. You know what I'm trying to say anyway. So, you know, we'll just go ahead and, and you know, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Anyone else relate to that? Or is that just me? Right? We all have those moments. You know why it happens? I'm going to let you in on a secret that's not a secret. You know why it happens? Because Satan doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to pray. Because he knows if you pray, then you're connected to the God of the universe. And if he can disconnect you in any way, he's won his battle. Right? He distracts us. He tempts us to look or to turn our attention away from God and onto the things of the world. That's why prayer is so important because it connects us with our creator. And it should not just be part of our walk. It should be the foundation of our Christian walk. See, without prayer, we cut off our communication with God. And God knows that's not good for us. So that's why prayer is mentioned so much throughout scripture. And I believe it's why Jesus also prayed very often. Not just because he needed it or wanted it, because he was demonstrating it for us. 
And we often see Jesus retreat by himself to pray. He intentionally took time to meet with God one-on-one throughout his entire ministry. But before Jesus did anything ministry-related, right after his baptism, he fasted and prayed for 40 days and for 40 nights. Like at the end of Matthew chapter 3, Luke does it in the same exact way. Right after the baptism, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights as he's fasting and praying. Before he did anything, he said, I'm going to connect myself with God the Father for 40 days and 40 nights before I do anything ministry related. Fasting and praying is so important. And Jesus demonstrates that, but we often struggle to stay consistent with it. Now, I'm not saying that after baptism, we should make everyone who gets baptized in this baptistry fast and pray for 40 days. Right? I, that's not what I'm saying. But as a church, we need to teach them to walk with Christ daily in prayer and to fast when necessary. You see, with fasting, it's typically found in Scripture of abstaining from food, sometimes even water too. But mainly, it was solid food that they're abstaining from. So they're still getting some type of nutrients from uh, not only just water, but different beverages that they would have. But it was solid food that they were abstaining from. Now, you'll find different reasons for fasting in Scripture. Sometimes they're fasting as a sign of repentance of a sin. They, they felt bad for their sins enough to where they felt like they needed to fast so that God could change their heart. Other times, it was finding victory in a battle. So if they're about to face this big, important battle, they would fast and pray so that they would see a victory at the end. But genuine fasting was usually, if not always, done with prayer for important matters. The Pharisees and John's disciples also had regular fasts. The early church, um, even throughout the book of Acts, but then after the book of Acts, had regular scheduled fasts that they would have. And some sects of early um, Christianity, it would have it, uh, they would have a, a regular 24-hour fast twice a week. And throughout Jesus' life, he took moments where he fasted in response to important things, like here at the beginning of his ministry. See, fasting is a physical way to show God that you're willing to deny yourself to seek him. It's communicating to God that you are hungry physically for the word of God, that you want to see a victory in whatever battle you're facing, or if it's a temptation or a struggle or a sin that you've been dealing with, it's a way for you to communicate to God that you are serious about repenting of this sin. You're serious about getting rid of this in your life. Prayer, on the other hand, is like our lifeline. Though fasting makes us weak and it humbles, ourse- humbles ourselves, prayer is what gives us strength. Not because we're praying, but because of who we're praying to. See, through prayer, we become stronger. We become more alert. We're more able to take on temptations. Not because we're great. Not because we, we figured out the strategy of the enemy, but because we learned to let God fight the battle for us, which is much, much easier said than done. Right? We have a lot of pride in ourselves that we want to prove to God that we can handle it, that we can take it. But what prayer and fasting does, it puts you in a place to say, I'm going to mess this up, so God just take care of it for me. I'm going to mess it up, 
So God, take control. And honestly, I would rather have God fight my battles than to have me fight my battles. Because every time that I've fought my battles on my own, I've lost. Like I'm owing thousands of battles that I've lost because I tried to do it on my own. But every time that I trusted in God to, do, to, to take on the battles for me, I've never lost. But you and I, we have to have the discipline to pray. The discipline to take moments and even scheduled times of prayer. I've talked about this before, but scheduling times for prayer, for specific prayer is super helpful. Because it's putting you in that mind place of, I'm going to pray at this time. Now, yes, it can be ritualistic and it can be tradition and all that stuff. But if you're coming in it with a genuine heart, it can help you focus on prayer in moments of your life. This is what Jesus did. He, he often retreated, went by himself and prayed. But he also prayed with his disciples. He prayed with other people. It wasn't that he never prayed except for by himself, but he made sure that he had moments where it was just him and God praying. Now, we often make prayer very complicated, but it's actually really simple. Just talk to God. Just talk to him. Tell him what's on your mind. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him about your day. Ask for strength, wisdom, whatever you need in that moment. Sometimes if you don't know what to pray, uh, I, I've done this and I have experience in this and I, I think it's fruitful for me at least, is that when I don't know necessarily what to pray, I pray the Psalms. Open up my Bible, I start reading the Psalms and praying it. Right, just talk to him like you would talk to a family member or a very close friend. The part that we make complicated is making time for him. But I do wanna take a moment just to challenge you a little bit because you have more time than you realize. You make a significant amount of time available for you or available for your kids or for your family. So much that probably some of you hardly have a social life outside of your family and your friends or, or your kids. Some of you make a significant time you invest a significant time working at a job, right? You, you cut those off and you make boundaries with those times. If you're going to a family gathering and you want to go to this family gathering and someone just randomly says, hey, do you want to go get some coffee at this time? And you're like, no, I, I've got a family thing, right? You set a boundary. When it's your job, right? I'm going to pick on Stephanie for a second because she's a teacher. If... If Chloe, I'm going to pick on YouTube. If Chloe texts Stephanie at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday when Stephanie's clearly teaching and she says, hey, do you want to go get some coffee? Now, I'm not speaking for Stephanie, but I'm going to just have this thing that she's probably not going to leave her students by themselves in an open classroom and say, hey, guys, teach yourselves I got to go get some coffee. She might want to do that, but she's not going to, right? It's her job. You set boundaries and you don't let them break for the things that matter the most. But oftentimes we don't do that with God. We set times to pray, but then we get a notification on our phone. And then we answer that notification. And then we figure out that we've got to go somewhere 
And we automatically take advantage of the patience of God, of the time that God has given us, and the grace that he has for us. Because we don't set boundaries with our relationship with God, but we set boundaries everywhere else. So set a specific time of the day every day. I would encourage you every day. Turn off your phone. Go into a closet. Go up in the attic. Go away. Go sit in your car. Go where you are the least distracted. Turn off your phone and just do five minutes. Just pray for five minutes. When five minutes starts to fly by, move it up to 10. When 10 minutes starts to fly by, move it to 20, right? And then for however long you would like. And I honestly think that one of the reasons that Jesus went into the wilderness was to get away from people, right? That sounds bad because it's Jesus, but he went so that he wouldn't be distracted. It was just him, God. He didn't need people to be there. It was just him and God. But even when we're alone, as we see in this story, Satan's still there. He's still there to distract us. And this is where having scripture memorized, having a Bible within reach, having the focus and the determination to honor God all comes in. Because though you will be distracted, though he will find creative ways to distract you, you have to focus in that moment. Because what happens? 40 days, 40 nights, Jesus is obviously hungry because he's fasted for that long. And the tempter, the devil comes to him and says, if you are truly the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now he looks at Jesus, sees that he's hungry, and essentially he's saying, prove yourself. Prove that you can supply for yourself. You don't need God. You don't need the, the heavenly you know, experience. You just need to go and make your own bread. You have power within you. And he tempts Jesus with eating wrongfully. Right? Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is basically saying, I don't have to have physical bread because I have all of the spiritual bread I need. God will sustain me in this. I'm not going to die because God will sustain me, so I don't need to turn that stone into bread. So then the devil also takes him up to the temple in Jerusalem, tells him to throw himself down as, and he says, as, as it is written, the angels are not going to let you fall down. They're not going to let you get harmed. Not a single scrape is going to be on you. Now, have you ever wondered why Satan used that particular scripture? Why he used that scripture from Psalm? I did a little bit of looking and digging into it. This is what I think. Satan used that particular scripture because it's part of prophecy. So for Jesus to jump off of the temple, it would seem like Jesus was fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament. Now, that's not the only way that he uses this. He uses it to twist it and to make him wrongfully do this. But Jesus catches on. He says, no, that's, I, I'm not going to be able to fulfill Scripture in that way. I'm not going to just jump off of the temple. Yes, the angels will probably come. And yes, that is true. But that's not how I'm going to fulfill prophecy. Instead, I see what you're doing. And then he, he says, 
It is also written, do not put your, the Lord your God to the test. See, he knew that by jumping off of the temple at the highest point, he would be testing God and testing God's scripture instead of trusting that God has a plan for him that doesn't include jumping off of the top of a building. But I also want you to, to see this because I don't want you to kid yourselves. I really think that Jesus had taken that opportunity, had fallen into that temptation and said, you know what, let's test that theory. Let's see, let me show you that God's gonna take care of me. And he jumps off the temple, the angels come down, they save him. I really believe that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all of the Sanhedrin would say, he is the Messiah. For in Psalm, I can't remember the, the scripture reference, but in Psalm, David said this, and, and we're seeing that before our eyes, which might not sound like a big deal until you remember that the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees all put him on the cross. They're the ones that put him on trial. So if they believed that he was the Messiah, they would have never crucified him, and he would have never rose again, and we would be hopeless. In a final effort to tempt Jesus on this particular occasion, Luke will say that he's tempted beyond this too. We just don't see it in this way in scripture. The devil takes him on a mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, if you worship me, I'll give you all of it. And Jesus answered him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And with that, the devil left him for that moment. Now, I do want to ask you something. Have you ever wondered why Jesus used scriptures to rebuke Satan? Why did he use these particular scriptures every single time that Satan came at him with something? If you look at Matthew 4, 4 again, it says it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Matthew 4, 7, where Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Have you ever wondered why he used all passages from Deuteronomy? I think here's the simple answer. Israel was told these things in Deuteronomy because they failed at every single one of them. They failed to live on the word of God. So instead they tried to satisfy their own desires with the bread of man. They tested God in the wilderness, testing him to see if they would give him more manna, testing him to see if he would actually bring water. And they worshiped an idol instead of God. Israel failed in every single temptation that Jesus faced. So it's like Jesus is saying to Satan, I know what you're doing. It worked on my people. It's not going to work for me. You're, you're not going to trick me in that way, which honestly should give you hope. Because the temptations that we face, the struggles we face, the desires of our flesh can all be overcome by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he's already done it. Where we failed... 
he will not. Where we are weak, he will make us strong. Every temptation that you'll face, if you do it alone, you will fail. You will. But every time that you go to God in prayer, when you're in the middle of a temptation, you will always win. Not because you can do it on your own, but because God's already done it. He already did it through Christ. And he accomplishes us this in us when we learn to lean into his presence through prayer. Prayer is so important for reaching people because you first have to be transformed by the gospel. You first have to have the tools and the abilities to say, hey, I know what it's like to face some temptations in your life, but I have a better way, and his name's Jesus Christ. Prayer is so important also because you don't have the capability to change a person's heart. I can change their mind on some things. I may even be able to, to sway them on different ideas, but I will never be able to change their heart unless God is in it. Oftentimes when we're reaching people, they, they don't want to be reached, right? You walk up to and you tell them about Christ, you invite them to come to church, you invite them to come to a church event, you invite them to come and read the Bible with you, you invite them to pray with you, all of these things. And they're like, no, I really don't want any part of that. Right? I've even been told to my face, I don't want to drink that Kool-Aid. Right? I, I don't want any of that. And for those people, that's why prayer is so important. Don't try to do all of the hard work yourself. Let God do the battle. Let God face the battle for you. Let him take care of it. And when you're tempted through your prayer, you can rebuke the devil and his schemes because you focus on God. And when you focus on God, he instills in you the mission and the purpose that he has for you. So if you really want to see that family member saved by grace, if you really want to reach the lost in our community, then I'm telling you right now, you're going to have to commit yourself to prayer and to fasting. God is the only one who can change their heart. He's the only one that can change this community's heart. And without you praying and fasting for them to repent of their sins, to deny themselves, to take up their cross and follow Christ, I'm here to tell you today that if you don't pray for someone, you can't assume that anyone else is praying for them. If you don't pray for that someone, they may never be saved because you didn't pray. I truly believe that God, when he gave us the commission, he was saying, this is for all of us, right? I'm bringing you in this. We're friends. We're partners. I'm going to change the heart, but you have to go and reach. I'm going to do the work. You just have to go and reach. You have to go and start the conversation. But I need you to connect with me. I need you to be so connected with me in prayer that you know the right time to reach. Because if you reach too soon, it's not going to work. If you reach too late, it's probably going to be too late. But if you don't pray for that person, I don't believe that they will come to know him. So pray and fast on their behalf. Watch how God changes their heart 
and then be willing to be used by him to go and reach.